Hello, everyone. This is Adam from Holmes Movies Podcast. That's right, the other guy. I'm here to tell you about some very exciting news, which is that we are now on Instagram because Twitter is dead. X. And... But am I doing this message or are you doing this fucking well, message? I just, I was just because it's not Twitter, it's X. So just, okay, did, never mind. Do your thing. That was Anders. I'm trying desperately to be professional and I'm looking at his face on the Zoom and it is making me crack up. This is impossible. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll I'll look away. I'll look away. That's even weirder. Just can you just <laughs> this is a solemn message from okay. your friends at Holmes Movies Podcast that we are now on Instagram. That is correct. Um it, it wait, why is it solemn? This is celebratory. No, we are now on Instagram. Hooray! Um, we're on Instagram at Holmes Movies Pod. That's at Holmes Movies Pod. That's H-O-L-M-E-S movies pod p-o-d movie spelled the regular way i'll do that again h-o-l-m-e-s-m-o-v-i-e-s-p-o-d with an at at the beginning at homes movies pod get it right follow right listen dougie especially you follow us on instagram right do that then tell your friends to follow us on instagram and then like all of our posts so that we get more followers on instagram and therefore money and influence and power because that's how Instagram works. It is a get-rich-quick solution for the 2020s. Um, so, yes, X, Twitter is dead. We are still on there, I think, but I'm not doing anything. I don't think Anders is doing anything. Um, so so we're, we're Instagramming. We're, set, we're posting pictures of our favorite movies. Uh, we, have, we have fun features like Thirsty Thursday and uh, Five Star Friday. None of the other days have features yet, but if you have any ideas, you know, keep them to yourself um and uh yeah so we're on instagram homes movies pod give us a follow this is an incredibly long message if you're still listening um welcome to the rest of the episode nicely done What 
shut up, you old fool. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes, and I'm joined over Zoom with my older brother, Adam. You're joined with? Like, we're fused? They're like Siamese twins, you know, like in Freaks. Are you allowed to call people Siamese twins anymore? I don't think you are. Joined twins, sorry. Yeah, I think think we can get cancelled for that. We're now cancelled. So, um, yes, no, we're fused through the medium of Zoom. Um, hello. I watched a horror film recently called Host, which was filmed. It was filmed during lockdown in the UK, and it was filmed entirely on Zoom. And given the limitations of it, it's a it's an incredibly effective film and incredibly. Someone crazy. get Zoom bombed. Well, it's basically like it's a group of friends. You know, they're the, each of them are in like their own location because it's lockdown and it's COVID, and it was shot during COVID, so there was that. And they do a seance over Zoom, but it goes horribly wrong. Like they can't reach the so, so the ghost. Can you can you just turn your video off? You're not coming through. If you keep your video off, maybe the signal will be better. That's better. So, um, are you reaching us, Abraham Lincoln? Um, yeah, I, it's a lot more frightening than that. <laughs> okay, is it is it? Are they trying to reach Hitler? No, they're not trying to reach Hitler. They're just trying to like speak to anyone that like answers, but. Uh... What, it, who, it who, what dead people have Zoom? No, not dead. It's a ghost that haunts them. But like you know, yes, it's, it's like, a de- what, how, what, what do you have to do? What's the first step to becoming a ghost? You have. To I die. think you're just overcomplicating the mode. Like it's a good film. If you haven't seen Host, check it out. It's directed by um, Rob Savage. Rob Savage. Yeah. What about Rob? Z- is that like Rob Zombie's been upgraded? Like no, t- it's a young. It's a he's a year younger than me. He's a British guy, and uh, he's done three films. Yeah, he's he's recently. I was watching one of his films before uh, I came on to record this. It's called The Boogeyman, which is a adaptation of a Stephen King short story. Is Burt Reynolds in it? Uh, no. Okay. Why, um, why is Burt? Why would Burt Reynolds Boogie be in it? Oh, Boogie right. Boogeyman. Oh yeah, that's pretty good for me. I haven't even seen the movie. Okay. Uh, what? Why have you? You? You know what? I I am having trouble speaking today, so this had better be a good reason you got me on Zoom. I have uh, had two of my teeth pulled out. My my wisest teeth. I'm now fifty uh, percent less wise than I was uh, yesterday morning. So um, yeah, and yesterday I was, I did expe- I was expecting you to come on the podcast and sound like Marlon Brando from the. Well, I, did, I did yesterday because my my it was actually really interesting because I drove home from the dentist with my mouth full of gauze and all the way I was just doing Marlon Brando in traffic. You like, oh, fucking asshole! Um, you can't come me. On a diamond, um, yeah. Uh, how you massacred that traffic light? I don't know. Um, I was not the money in the moment. Oh, I should have made the joke. I've seen Last Tango in Paris. I'm, not, I'm never going to make another joke of past the butter again. That was. Don't do that. No. Um. So why are we here? Okay. So we've been doing top ten episodes where we've been going back through every decade of cinema and talking about our favorite films from each of them. And uh, we do have another, we have a couple more in the pipeline. One of them is the 1930s. And seeing as it's October and, you know, scary movie month, we decided to uh, talk about uh, 1930s horror movies and uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, this is a bit, you see, actually, we missed a bit of a trick here because what we should have done is for every decade, we should have talked about a genre that defined that decade. So, for example, 1970s, we could have talked about The Godfather. No, we could have talked about um, Paranoid 
thrillers or something with 1980s could have talked about blockbusters 1950s could have talked about westerns 40s film noir and so on we didn't do those episodes we might do them or we might not but um given that it's halloween given that we're about to do the 1930s and given that certainly in my case i can't speak for you but not a lot of the films that we're going to talk about today are going to be in my top 10 from the 1930s and i don't mean that with any disrespect it's just that it's a tough competition you know so um i feel like we deserve uh, to revisit the genre of horror which we do every once in a while especially around this time of year and i think as we're gearing up for the 1930s we might want to give our audience a sense of like what's available from that decade especially as the criterion channel who do not sponsor us hello guys hint hint um the criterion channel excellent people the criterion channel really worth subscribing to the criterion channel the Criterion Channel. Can you stop doing, saying Criterion Channel? For God's the sake. Criterion Channel are doing a season of pre-code, which basically means 1930s. Don't worry so much about that. We can probably um, get into oh, it in a minute. Yes, actually, that's right. We we do need to talk about the code, but not right now. The Criterion Channel are doing a season. Did you say no, Criterion pre- Channel? No, sorry, the Criterion Channel are doing a season of pre-code horror movies that you should watch, and many of them will come up today. The Criterion Channel sponsors, future sponsors of Home's Movies Podcast. Uh, so the 1930s and horror, take it away. Uh, riveting. Uh, just before we get into that, I have a new addition to our Instagram page. I'm going to call it Trivia Tuesday. Ooh, Trivia Tuesday. Hey, live content creation. Yes. Look at that. Um, Fucking brilliant. I, I have a question for you. And see if you can. It uh, is Tuesday. It's it is literally Tuesday. Tuesday. Trivia yeah. Tuesday. It's happening live. Yeah. So I might actually post this on our Instagram page before the count, go, the time goes midnight on the clock. Uh, question for you What links Hank Warden with an actor from Deadwood, the HBO show? What? What? Wait. Hank Warden, who played Mose Harper and many other characters in John Ford Westerns. Is he the father or grandfather of an actor in the show? Or is he Mose? Is there someone called Mose in... Is there... I'm going to go with he's a father or the grandfather of an actor on the show. What's the real answer? So the character of Ellsworth, played by Jim Beaver... Yes. When he was um, sort of coming out to California or trying to find work as an actor back in his sort of early days before he hit his peak and now he's in Supernatural and he's you know, been in the Breaking Bad TV series and also in Better Call Saul and he's, you know, he's in The Boys and he's, you know, he's very prolific. People know who he is now. Yeah. But there was a man by the name of Hank Warden who gave him a place of residence. You know, he roomed with Hank Warden. Yeah, Jim Beaver. You know, he was he he had he he spent some time with Hank Warden as he when he was trying to find his way in the world. And this, and you're going to post this on on Instagram. You're not going to post this as a question. You're actually just going to write. No, I'm going this. to post it as like a little bit. Of, I'm not going okay, to post it literally no one except you and Jim Beaver and maybe Hank Warden know about this. Well, he's well, the, well, we can't really ask Hank Warden because he's you know dead, but. Well, we could do one of those Zoom seances you talked about earlier. Yeah. My rocking chair. You promised me my rocking chair. That's a great piece of trivia, and as well done. Does that mean I have to come up with one next week? Uh, yeah, you can do that. 
Fuck. Okay, fine. Great. Great feature, Andy. Well done. Uh, okay, can we now talk about the 1930s? Because it's Arsenal against Seville in 35 minutes. And um, so the clock is ticking. Okay, um, so you've got some time to watch, you know, to, in, you know, integrate football into your new daughter's life. Yeah, I've got to educate her. Um, look, um, so the 1930s and horror, what a perfect marriage of two eras, right? Um, you've got... Um, You've got like the birth of sound in Hollywood, the, the 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 dominance of black and white cinematography, and I think in the 1930s a sense that there's really two types of films, right? More, I mean, this does last into the 40s and 50s, but you could really see it in the 1930s. There's good movies that win Oscars and that people go and see because they're prestigious and they have the movie stars in them. And then there's everything else. And everything else in the 1930s, I think, has a lot of um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And it's just curious to me anyway that, like, in the 1930s, Westerns are still not really as, like, huge as, as they will become. Um, film noir isn't really a thing yet, like detective movies. Um, but, like, horror films, monster movies just explode. And... I just I just love that and it's it's um and it go they go away kind of they come back a bit in the 1950s but like it it's just um I I I wonder what it is what do you what do you what do you think well I feel like you did touch upon the the aspect of sound sound was like a really big thing in horror films I think it really gave a little bit of atmosphere to the movies particularly with like the monster characters because they would be all like <laughs> and things like yeah, that yeah, you can't, an intertitle that just says ra isn't very yeah, scary yeah, yeah. It's not as scary, but like, you know, in the night, if you'd like to watch a lot of horror movies from the 1920s, films like Nosferatu or Faust or even Hexen, which I just watched for the first time recently, they had a lot of, they had a lot of very spooky imagery and also very evocative imagery, stuff that you, you know, in this period you could kind of get away with, but people would still be like wagging their fingers saying, no, no, you can't do that. Well, it's, it's, also, it's also very, I feel like it's very Victorian, very Gothic. Um, yeah, very gothic. Very yeah, sort of. You're right. You're right to also point out the fact that it's also a lot of it's quite lewd and yeah. um, suggestive. Well, I mean, suggestive to the point like you know what it is, kind of thing. I feel like it to to sort of bring an example. Uh, have you seen the Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde? Jekyll. Yeah, Jekyll. Jekyll. No, Jekyll. 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 The correct the correct pronunciation apparently is Jekyll. And they say According to film. who? Doctor Idiot. <laughs> IMDB apparently. What? <laughs> it's apparent. Apparently, it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Mister Heed. <laughs> it's Frankenstein. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Heed. What the fuck? <laughs> no. Okay. Fine. Okay. So, okay. Because I feel <laughs> this like is never gonna get going. Okay. Okay, well, Doct okay, fine. I'll just call it the way that everyone's been saying it for years in the same way that people have been saying Martin Scorsese very wrong as well, um, according to... How do they say Martin Scorsese wrong? Well, that was, it's, like, it's like Thelma Shoemaker apparently says it's Scorsese. Isn't that... What? Anyway, it doesn't What's matter. The... Okay, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which stars Jekyll. Friedrich March, who won the Oscar Frederick for Martin. Best Actor. Uh, there is a scene in the film where he saves a woman from, you know, being beaten up by some, you know, tavern dude, drunkard kind of thing. They call them louts, Sanders. Hooligans. Louts. Hooligans. Uh, the sort of 1930s version of it. And 
he is sort of engaged to be married even though the father of the woman that he's engaged to be married to or wants to marry is very sort of like i don't like him he seems wrong kind of thing and that's no, sort of like, of, no daughter of mine is going to marry no jiggle yeah and he it uh he he saves the woman takes her up to a room we we know that she is a prostitute the film basically lets us know that and she <laughs> you know thanks him in a way that's sort of like she wants to sort of be with him oh, and God. he's well, yeah or more than that and oh, there's a scene there's sort of scenes in the film where she's in she's getting undressed we don't see any like nudity or anything like that but we see like bare legs and you know we see mm. like just like just a, like oh, for Silas, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. And there's I a scene, in the, and there's a scene when she's lying in bed and she's naked, and what? he says, and he's and he's got to go. But then she sort of leaves her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Betty does. He's got to go, and so he she <laughs> he, he, he leaves he she leaves her her leg dangling, her bare leg dangling on the bed, saying, "Come back, come back." And it sort of dissolves into the next scene, but that picture of her leg dangling is still playing on the screen to sort of give the sense that it's still on his mind he's still thinking about her and things like that that is outrageously sexy um and and something that the um that hollywood would put a stop, a stop to because um you know you might think oh gosh that sounds like racy for the 1930s it is and the Hayes code which one was that 1934 or something which started really getting enforced um it's like later in the decade i think yeah, and it, the Hayes Code was written up in the early 30s, but they really started enforcing it when the sort of national media started basically calling Hollywood like this sort of sin factory. And there were all those scandals that had come out of the 20s, like Fatty Arbuckle and stuff like that. And it was like... Yeah, Fatty oh, Arbuckle was kind of the... That was sort of, okay, we have to draw catalyst. a line in the sand. Yeah, that Which was... Which was fucking fake news as well. I mean, like, Fatty Arbuckle was innocent of any wrongdoing and it was just a a big old, you know, concocted nonsense. But anyway, um, it just shows that um fake news is not new um but the um and if you want to listen for more stuff about fatty arbuckle i think that you must remember did this did an episode about it i'm sure there's loads of podcasts about it um there should be a movie or a tv series made about him i think that would lend very well to his that story would lend very well yeah like an american crime story or something yeah yeah Um, in any case but not made by ryan murphy made by someone who's not you know who knows what they're doing Oh, I thought it meant Ryan Reynolds. No, wait, Ryan, who directed, who's married to Karina Longworth? Ryan Johnson. There's so many Ryans. Okay. Um, Ryan Murphy so- is the guy who did American Horror Story and Glee. And Glee. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not uh, a fan of American so- Horror Story. Good. Duly noted. Uh, the uh, So the 30s, there is this moment of permiss- permissiveness, it looks like, in a lot of the sort of early films of the 30s. And then it's like, no, stop that. Um, and then it's and then it ends. And I think, but you, yeah, I think you see it more in B movies, and they think it gets preserved in B movies because if you look at like film noir movies in the 1940s or um thrillers and stuff like that in the 1950s, B movies in general tend to be a bit more like fleshy than yeah. um than mainstream pictures, but not always. Um, and I think that uh the 30s is really like a site of that. So I think there's that sexiness element. Um and I think that's fun to play with in horror because you kind of got an excuse because you're not being like pornographic. And also you're dealing with um, characters who already have committed some kind of sin or who are somehow flawed and therefore you can excuse their lasciviousness based on that. So it's kind of a get out of jail free card there. Yeah. But aside from like the sex element, I think the other thing about B-movies is they are and they become home for, I think, directors and and, and actors who are 
less easy to categorize and less easy to sort of pigeonhole and who quite often have, um, you know, a diverse range of identities. I mean, I think the most famous example is James Whale, who was gay, right? And who was He was open. very openly gay in a time where most people were not. Yeah, and James Whale, who directed Bride of Frankenstein and... Um, and Frankenstein, he directed the first Frankenstein right, as well. Right, 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 yeah. So he, I mean, he's a very significant director, but, um, you know, an openly gay man. So there's going to be a very, he's a very, very thick glass ceiling for someone like that. And yet you watch Bride of Frankenstein and it's just, inc- I mean, camp as a term had not been crystallized in the 1930s, but it sure is a camp film. And... Um, and so I think you see, I think you could have gone as a, as a, as a gay man, perhaps to see a James Whale movie and, and seen things uh, that you could identify with um, in the 1930s. So I really like the idea of like these horror movies as sort of smuggling stuff. And the other thing I think that's happening is that in the 1930s, of course, you've got the trauma of World War I and the Depression behind you and the fear of what's going to become, you know, fascism and the Second World War ahead of you. Um, And so it's sort of this era of like, you know, kind of like we're living through now of sort of, um, you know, suspicion and portent. And so I think that kind of plays uh, as well. But um, But there is that still that kind of Victorian sensibility where it's like you're still like, oh, a child goes missing. What what could it be? Oh, it could be like uh, Spring Hill Jack or something like that. It it does. It still has that gothic mentality of like monsters hiding in, in the shadows and castles and thunder lightning rain and things like that which which you know frankenstein you know is a bit like that as well frankenstein Frankenstein. uh i mean frankenstein (laughs) you know is is a great film in regards to you know a a you know a monster that is misunderstood a monster created because some crazy moron picked up an abnormal brain of a serial killer instead of a normal one I mean, you had one job, Eagle. One yeah, job. he had one job. But what well, he's, he's not just to say, just to say, we're not endorsing the creation of monsters. Um, but if you are going to create one, use a normal brain. Yeah, and maybe just be a bit better about who you hire because uh, th- that guy's a bit of a mental patient. You know what it is. You know what it is. Pay peanuts, get monkeys. Sorry. That's probably yeah. offensive, but like you know, that's you 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 get in what you garbage in, garbage out. You know, what yeah. I mean? if you uh, want a job done properly, due diligence, interview process, references, references, references. Get someone with experience if you're going to be stealing brains. Okay. Yeah. Well, the character is not. He's not. He's kind of an Igor character. The character of Igor wasn't played until Son of Frankenstein, which was played by Bella Lugosi, who is a diff in um disfigured man who was you who uses frankenstein to exact revenge on the people who tried to execute him wow. in this film the cat the assistant is called fritz and he's played by dwight fry who also fritz, played, of course who also played uh renfield in uh, dracula which of course bella lugosi played in and, and this is a this is a this conversation is in danger of getting a little bit disorganized but I will just say that that performance as Renfield is fantastic. Uh, yeah, that is a, it is great. His manic eyes is amazing. That's like, um, what's his name? Gollum. Um, Andy Circus. Andy Circus esque It always reminds me of Andy Circus. Yeah. Um, that uh, performance. Okay, so look. So but, but just staying on Frankenstein for a bit, I, I wanted to talk about, the, there's, there's a famous scene in the film involving a child 
that was cut out of the film, it actually cuts away at one point. So there's a, po there's a point in the film where Frankenstein breaks out, mainly because Fritz was egging him on. And then Frankenstein uses this as a moment to be like, hits him and he gets away. Yeah. And then Frankenstein meets, comes across a child who's by the river and throwing fla flowers into the, into the water, thinking that they float. And because Frankenstein played by, well, the creature, Frankenstein's creature played by um, Boris Karloff, who was incredible in the film, uh, he, he misunderstands this whole thing and grabs the child and throws her into the lake and she drowns. And so they cut that whole bit out of the film. So when he picks her up, What's they just... the version of the film I've seen? Did they put it back in? Well, in the version that I have, they have her where he like throws her in, but you don't see her fall into the water. You just see her pick her up and then throw her in, but you don't, you, you, you cut don't her. see, that's right. You don't you actually don't see, see that. Yeah, you yeah. just see him go, and then he runs away. He's a bit like Lenny in Of Mice and Men, isn't he? Yeah, he's a little bit, I've done a bad thing. the kitten squashes it kind of thing. Yeah. Tell um, me about the rabbits. I... Um, yeah, so uh, th this is something else. D I agree completely on the Victorian thing. I think the Victorian era being as close as it is in the 1930s is, um, you know, significant. I think that people would have been old enough to remember this kind of like theatre and, and drama. And I think the novel, you know, the novel that this is based on is not yet 100 years old, I don't think. Well, maybe it is just over 100 years old, but it's still... You know, it doesn't come, it doesn't feel like the sort of ancient source material that it feels like now. Um, I also think at this time, you know, what with travel being what it is, like it, it is you can make more of a like, you know, make more of an exotic locale out of somewhere like Transylvania or something. You know, all of it's obviously um, Hollywood, but still, I I love that kind of the way it's like how to use. The resources available right which is you know th these films are working on a tight budget so use uh familiar source material use cheap sets that you can light carefully to make them look like old europe but also make you know reusable sets um and then Add use a few the, cobwebs the, and get the fog machine out make some yeah, exactly and and then brilliant and, and great black and white cinematography and it's like they it just comes and it and i feel like this look that comes out of the 30s it doesn't define horror movies I don't think, because I think horror movies change shape as they should. But what it does define to this day, I think, is the stereotypical idea of spookiness, like the sort of lightning and the organ music and the, you know, the sort of sounds and stuff like this. I, the stuff that gets lampooned in um, Rocky Horror, for example, and like, yeah. you know, this is this or The Simpsons. <laughs> this is like Pennsylvania. This is, this is the <laughs> this is the, um, the source material for all of that um and um and that's really interesting you know and i think that as we look through the history of movies it's not all these films that get remade but enough of them do like frankenstein doesn't really come back he's kind of too absurd well um, they but... did a kenneth branagh directed a well he also started one as well with helena bonham carter where robert de niro plays the monster what okay so i didn't realize that was which i have that okay. i have that on blu-ray it's like because like Dracula came back with Gary Oldman, which is like just it, it, just an incredibly made film and so crazy and weird. And just Anthony Hopkins is just chewing every piece of that scenery every time when he's on screen. And and Gary Oldman as well. And it's just like, I crossed an ocean of time to find you. Right. The they're, okay, so maybe what I should say is actually they have all kind of been remade one way or another. You know, The Mummy, actually, you're right. The Invisible Man even got remade with um, Kevin Bacon. 
Um, well, yeah, but then they, there's been a recent one with Elizabeth Moss, which uh, takes a, a more modern approach. Right, yeah. Oh, yes, I saw the trailer for that. It looked fucking frightening. Yeah. Really good okay. movie. There's one scene but, in the film which made me just jump out of my seat. So here's another thing. The presence of, you know, we talked about big stars not being in B-movies, but we still get stars out of these films because, you know, Hollywood in the 1930s is all about, like, star power. And I think it's really interesting that the three stars that really break out of this decade, for me anyway, and you might disagree with this, are all Europeans. So you've got Bela Lugosi, who's Hungarian? Um, Yeah, I think he is. And who, you know, very interesting character um, with a tragic fate, as also brilliantly portrayed by Martin Landau in... um, Edward, um, you've got Boris. He was Hungarian. Then you've got Boris Karloff, who's British, um, and then you've got uh, also British Claude Rains. And Claude Rains, his first movie performance is The Invisible Man, right? Yeah. And th- and they're all and these are all actually debut roles for them in Hollywood, right? They, they're all none of them have an identity as a star before these films, and only Claude Rains manages to break out. I think from the this this kind of picture because he becomes this beloved character actor in the 40s yeah. and Casablanca and um notorious and so on. But like the for Lugosi and Karloff, this is becomes the rest of their life. And the whole like there's so many um you know gimmicks in the, the, the isn't there that there's that one film uh, the black cat where they put them together. Well, they, they were in a bunch of films together. They, they, it's yeah. not just you know in Son of Frankenstein. They were in a few films together. They were in um yeah the black cat which has is basically adapted from an Edgar Allan Poe story, but has nothing to do with the actual Edgar Allan Poe story. Just, it has a black cat, that's it. But it's very different. Black cat. (laughs) Black cat. (laughs) Um, And they also did The Raven, which also has absolutely nothing to do with the Raven poem from Edgar Allan Poe as well. And then they also did a film called The Body Snatcher, which is uh, a little bit based around the Burke and Hare murders. And... Again, Karina Longworth did a really, really good uh, series of episodes about Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, which we is need really to worth stop plugging other people's podcasts. <laughs> but yes, you're right. But, yeah. but like, it, they, I think, because in Ed Wood, there's a moment in the film where like someone mentions Boris Karloff to Bela Lugosi. I can't remember the scene exactly and how it plays out because it's been a while since I've seen it. But like, Bela Lugosi's like, fuck you, and, and things like that. But they were very respectful of each other. But I think what Boris Karloff did better than Bela Lugosi is that Boris Karloff was able to kind of... He still starred in horror films, but he was able to kind of break out of that stereotype of being just the monster guy. Like, he actually was a really good actor as well. And I, I think, think that, he and wasn't... He, I don't think he was, he was also not the giant prima donna that Bela Lugosi was, which I think made him easier to work with, which meant yeah. he got more work. Yeah, and I think it just, I, I feel like, and also, like, the thing about Bela Lugosi is that he could never shake Dracula, the character of Dracula, off him. Like, And I think I, he was also buried in the costume as well. Which is weird. Um, but, um, but fair enough, I guess. Um, so I also, I guess, um, like, I guess we should talk about some of the actual movies. We've covered some of them. Um We've talked about Frankenstein. We've talked about Dracula with Bela Lugosi, which is brilliant. Um, another James favorite... Whale. There's another James Whale movie called The Old Dark House, which is a lot of fun. That's a great film. I wanted to talk about that. That is such a good movie, and it has uh, as a as a um, by way of segueing. Um, first of all, it has Karloff in it, um, but it also has um, Charles Lawton, and Charles Lawton is in my I think 
my favorite uh, 30s horror film, apart from Bride of Frankenstein, which I still just love, um, which is The Island of Lost Souls. Yeah, which, which is the first this has also of been, Dr. Moreau. This has been remade as well by The Island of Dr. Moreau, but actually the best remake of it is that Simpsons episode. Um, but The Island of Lost Souls is, I think, probably one that is less seen than some of the other ones. Um, it is on the Criterion channel. Um, the the Island of Lost Souls is this thing where, where Dr. Moreau, played by Charles Lawton, has this this island uh, and well, you know, of Lost Souls now, uh, where he um, is like fusing people with animals and the makeup is insane and the plot, frankly, is insane. But it also has some brilliant, like just like absolutely iconic bits. Um, and it was the origins of a uh, Devo song. The Are We Not Men? You we Are Devo. Us. And um, really, really like fun and amazing B movie. And Charles Lawton is just one of just, oh, he's so good. Um, have you not forgot about? Have you forgotten about the House of Pain? Yeah, the House of Pain, another uh, pop culture reference. Charles Lawton also played the Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's a sort of a horror film. Um, I think I, I know, have that really. on DVD, or maybe I have the one that Lon Chaney Senior was in. Um, yeah, Lon Chaney Junior. Junior was um he was the Wolfman, but he didn't he, that was not the 1930s. Wolfman came out in 1941, so it doesn't really count. It doesn't count. Tell you what, uh it's not a Hollywood film, but um it is a horror movie, and I think it's an excellent horror movie. That's uh 1932's Vampire, which is uh Ooh, directed by Denmark's own uh Carl Theodore Dreyer. I mean, that is a film that also feels like a silent movie as well. Like the silent cinema yeah. just lives on in that film because it doesn't have that much dialogue and it just relies much more on very scary and frightening imagery which i think is atmosphere atmosphere it's so well done there's some great moments in that film that are just like spooky as well i I heard someone compare it to david lynch and i think that's on the money yeah i would yeah I, i would i would say that too given the whole surreal aspect of the film and also like because like David Lynch's movies they're always populated with very weird and obscure characters and Vampura's got a few of them and yeah. if I was staying in some small town in France near near a river I would lock my door like bolt it shut I mean in fairness small town in France near a river is not like your stereotypical um, location for you know horror I'd normally expect that to involve you know the perfectly uh, selected and chilled wine and delicious sausages from local markets, but, but I mean, just um, any small town in the middle of nowhere, just you know, just going to keep. Yeah, my doors obviously, locked. lock your door. You have valuables. Yeah. We live in treacherous times. Um, but um, okay. So, what are some of your favorite films from the 1930s of the horror genre that we've not mentioned? Yeah, one of my favorites. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's a film that I find um, it's I find it very interesting and also both very. It was also very controversial at the time as well, and that was uh, Todd Browning's film Freaks, which oh, well, you know, which I've still not seen, but yeah, I've I've only seen it once, and I've just started watching it again, um, which because it's on the Criterion Channel, it's part of that pre-code horror. The Criterion collection. Channel, the Criterion Channel, it's like you are watching the Criterion Channel, mm. and um, you should be. Yeah, it's a very it. It it's uh, I think it's one of those films that really I mean because it the film is it it's about circus 
freaks who have disabilities and they're, they're part of a traveling circus troupe and you know everyone like there's one guy who's got no legs and arms and there's a there's a hermaphrodite a half woman half man and you know there's Simon uh, conjoined twin characters as well and there's, there's little people dwarfs who are one of them is infatuated with one of the women who or, who is uh who does a lot of these sort of acrobatic acts kind of things and he's very wealthy and she realizes that oh he's quite infatuated with me i'm gonna you know try and steal his money with uh, mr strongman here and um it, it it's sort of like the thing I, I noticed with the film is that, you know, of course, these characters are going to, you know, people, normal people like you and me, if we saw them on the street, we would be like, ah! or like, you know, go away from them because we we naturally assume, oh, these people are like dangerous. If or anything we were like horrible that. people from the 1930s, I think now we're supposed to see people on the street and not scream. Um... No, yeah, but yeah, but like just, but but Todd Browning in the film, he treats them like they're normal people. They're, they're people, you know, who have their disabilities, they have their physical ailments but they're treat he treats them as normal you know normal people who Which is where i think the title is very pointed like again speaking of that thing about smuggling and themes and messages i think this is a film about prejudice it's a film about um you know about respect for uh people with you know physical disabilities um and i think that you know it's masquerading obviously as a campy horror movie but nevertheless and i think you know i think that's something that really comes out of the 1930s and comes into our time because I think if there's any genre that really I think is and does feel representative now of all different identities and of all different um you know neurodiversities or whatever you want to call it um and I don't say that to be disrespectful or glib but I feel like you know however you want to think about diversity of perspective or identity I feel like the genre that best represents that in the 21st century is horror and I think yeah. that the, the that actually you can trace that line back to the 1930s because it's not just that you know what you're saying a lot of the time with these films is that you're giving people an opportunity to come you know because the establishment or the, the 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 sort of conservative view is like why would you want to watch this filth you know which is always the way uh you know even now i think there's this idea this knee-jerk reaction of like you know why do you want to watch a film about a trans swedish vampire like what's wrong with you whereas like maybe watching that film will make you feel something about yourself but also give you a chance to build community with other people who enjoy the same movies and i think that that must must have been true in the 1930s as well they yeah. had fan forums back then or twitter god help them but like the um oh you know, I, they, I i feel like if like imagine like twitter in the 1930s or the 1970s no, no, well, like, no do not want to do that i do not want to mention because like you would just I, people I would just be that. like don't no, watch the you. exorcist it's dirty they ruined that girl's life and everything like that and it's just like thank god it didn't know um yeah the, the, uh, i've seen some wrote, like real this is why i wrote instagram and not twitter uh i've seen like books. i've seen some really stupid discourse uh, to do with the new scorsese film which i'm not getting involved in but i'm just seeing a bunch of things i'm just like oh my god don't that is just not right do yourself a favor get off x and get yourself over to instagram look up a yeah. little page called homes movies pod and you'll be fine because yes. it's just good ass content um including trivia tuesday jesus christ okay it is a good idea i grudgingly admit that um so um yeah I, okay so that's that's uh that about covers 1930s horror um well yeah i mean any other things you want to add well i mean i really like there's one film i watched uh which was on the criterion channel and now it's back 
it's in that pre-code horror thing and it's called there's a couple there's two films which i watched one of them was called dr x which is directed by michael curtis who directed casablanca yes and he also did a film called mystery of the wax museum which is also on the criterion thing as well uh dr x is a very name (laughs) (laughs) dr x is a really really is a really really fun a uh, little mystery film. It's uh, basically there's a bunch of murders, murders happening at the, during a full moon, and uh, bodies are being uh, mutilated, and the word cannibalism is thrown about a little bit. Okay. And there's people. There's a guy who's got no hand, but he's got no. Well, he's got no hand in, on his left side. And uh, there's a, you know, and there's a, there's a bunch of scientists. I still got my wanking hand. <laughs> there's a bunch of scientists. They all look very. Why did I make that joke? <laughs> they're all very sort of like, you know, they all have very interesting quirks. And there's a reporter <laughs> who looks like James Cagney, who's trying to like solve the murders and be a big shot and everything. And uh, Faye Ray, amazing. I want to watch this. Yeah, Faye Ray plays the daughter of Doctor Xavier, who, uh, who, um, who's who's been asked by the police. Okay, it seems like someone inside your little academy might be the killer. We're going to give you forty-eight hours to try and find out who it is. So, so he does like academy some... crossed with like horror. Yeah. So he's tr- yeah. So he's basically he does like these little experiments to try and get them to. Uh, to see how they react and things like that. And then there's one scene of the film where it reveals who the person actually is. And there's a line in the film that the that the, that the character uses and he calls, and he says, synthetic flesh. <laughs> and basically, like, he grabs, I don't know what the guy it is, but he puts something on his face that makes him look like some, like, alien thing. And it's quite frightening. Especially like the, given the time that. that it's released, Doctor X and Fay Ray, of course, both come up in the title song of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. It's Is actually when you re- when you listen to the lyrics, it's just mm-hmm. a film, a series of film references. It's delightful. Um, yeah, it is. Um, I, I mean, I, I Andrew said prunes gave him the runes is one of my favorite ones. Anyway, um, the but yes. Uh, I really want to see that. I've just got distracted by you describing Dr. X. I really want to see that. Um, well, also, I mean, the invisible, I think the invisible man with Claude yeah. Rains, I think oh, it's. And how could we get through this without mentioning Una O'Connor, who is in yeah. the invisible man and in Frankenstein, and she just screams the whole time. And she not like, I'm a helpless damsel in distress. She is a screechy, what would have been known at the time as a harpy, and a, yeah. a middle-aged woman who is just constantly bollocking everyone and getting terrified. And she's hilarious. I mean, she yeah. is so fucking funny in all these movies, and uh, and she knows exactly how to play it just under the line, like just before it gets too much. She's brilliant. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, she's, she's she's one of the best things about the Invisible Man, which is um, really a comedy. If you think about it, it's a like dark. Whole, it's a very dark comedy. But, but also, half the movie is just people being like, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> oh, he's invisible. Oh no, I can't see him. <laughs> like, like walking into stole, you know, like, everyone in the film is such an idiot. Like, it, it's so, uh, yeah, it, but it, he yeah. is, he is. I mean, Claude Rains is very terrifying in the movie, like, what brilliant, too. I mean, that's the thing, he's such a good actor. Um, and um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, we talked about the Dark House. are amazing as well. Did we miss any movies? Mummy, I haven't seen any of the mummy movies. Uh, I've seen the first Mummy. The Mummy, the first Mummy is actually pretty good uh, with Boris Karloff and who plays 
uh, Ardeth Bay. I've seen one of the other Frankenstein films, which is Son of Frankenstein, which um, I think is one of the last times where Boris Karloff does play um, uh, the monster. I don't... that They did an Abbott, Abbott and Costello film in the 40s called Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, and yeah. Bela Lugosi is in it, but I'm not quite sure if Boris Karloff is in that film as well. I know Lon Chaney Jr. is in it. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me, um, the top ones are um, Island of Lost Souls and Bride. I think Bride of Frankenstein has got to be one of the best sequels ever. And I really yeah. I feel like if you watch one movie from the 1930s in this genre, watch Bride of Frankenstein, because I think it distills everything that's great about it. Like it has huge humor. Like I think there's something that's underrated about these films is quite a lot of them have moments of seriously like funny bits. It's incredibly touching in moments. There's the scene with his uh, where he makes friends with the guy who lives in the woods on his own, and then there's um, and then there's just moments of like great like gothic energy for one of a better word, just not like scares exactly, but just like good like haunting uh, images uh, in Bride of Frankenstein. So for me, that's still uh, and Elsa Lanchester, of course, uh, brilliant as the as the titular bride. Um, yeah, just uh, that that's kind of the one I would say watch. But you could also go on the Criterion channel and watch uh, Island of Lost Souls, which is amazing. And also the Old Dark House, which is the perfect. Yes. Yeah, Old Dark House. Seriously, actually, that's another one I would really pull out of the hat here. Is it say that you probably would skip by that most times? You're like, oh, it doesn't have Dracula and it doesn't have a monster. It does have a monster, and you have no idea how weird and fucked up he is. <laughs> it's a very like, it's a very strange film. I didn't even know what to. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the League of Gentlemen. Did you ever watch that show? I never watched it. No, no, no. I never got okay. it. Okay, well, it has a little bit of that. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, because it, it's like, and also there's like a character who's a man, but is actually played by a woman. And there's like, it's a, it, like, it's it's basically, it's like a, it's a group of people who get stuck. One the of the characters is- but It's a classic horror film. Car breaks down in the worst place in the world. Yeah, so it's Melvin Douglas, Gloria Stewart, and Charles Lawton who get stuck. And they go to this house and there's a butler played by uh, Boris Karloff called Mordigan. Who um, I don't think really actually Massey is in that film as well. It's real who's who, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, it, I think it was one of those films where it was lost for a period of time, and the only thing and the only film that actually existed of it was the William Castle remake, which came out in the sixties. Um, okay, well, it's time for me to go. Yes. But, um, before I do, you heard my message at the beginning. Holmes movies pod. Uh, the Criterion people, if you're listening, uh, just send us a DM and send us all your money because you know we're on, we're now influencers and uh, we can do things do things for you. Um, and uh, well, yeah. Michael Manoff, like kind of films. Yeah, God, my teeth hurt. Fucking hell! All right. Um, well, no, my my teeth actually don't hurt. The the hole where my teeth used to be hurts. It's like some horror film. You get you go to the dentist and then they did something wrong, like they didn't clean their tools properly, and then you just like turn into like this toothy like thing, like, <laughs> like I, I, instead of a head, I just have a big tooth. Yeah, it's like your whole face just turns into like this tooth. Oh no, we thing. Mis- we 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 misread the instructions. We took away the head and left the tooth. We were supposed to take out the tooth. You were supposed to take the whole tooth. You can't handle the tooth. <laughs> Grab the torches and pitchforks. We ride at dawn. Just kill it. Um, okay, I thought you can't handle the tooth was pretty funny. Uh, anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good as well. Also, the other thing that these movies do seem to not advocate or abdicate or whatever the word is, or they don't advocate, abdicate, uh, yeah. abdicate. 
It's uh, mob, 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 uh, mobs. Yeah, mobs, which is interesting given the um, the time they were released in. Um, you know, it's also something that comes up in a lot of Hitchcock movies. The mob is always kind of seen as um, uh, wrong-headed and unwise, uh, to say the least. Particularly um, in the right. Western, the Oxbow incident. Well, that's not a Hitchcock movie. Well, <laughs> But yes, it is. It does also apply to the episodes. Okay, um, we have to have at least one episode where we talk about. We have to have an episode where we at least talk about one western. That's that's a rule. That's true. That's true. Western horror crossover in the nineteen thirties doesn't happen, but does happen later. Um, yeah, with uh, Ravenous, which uh, came yeah. out in the nineties, and then Bo Tomahawk. That was the Ooh, only. T- yeah. Okay. Um, that's a fucking brutal movie. There's like one scene in the movie where it's just like. It's horrible. We have to go now. And yeah. That's anyway, not, yes, so Adam has to go take care of his baby quickly before he has to go see an Arsenal game. Well, I can do two of the back and multitask. Um, through that. But um, yeah, so, uh, okay. Uh, we'll be back with the top 10 movies of the 1930s. In the meantime, your homework is to go and watch some of these horror movies for your Halloween delectation and then come back when we do the top 10 uh, and we'll be talking about serious motion pictures although i bet you'll probably have room for a couple of these movies in your top 10 won't you uh yeah i think so too um yeah. i might need to do a little bit of homework because I, I, okay. I feel like i can't put all horror films into the 1930s top 10 anyway yes do uh check us, do check like us out on instagram do send us an email as well no one seems to do that but it like to hear I think email people. is dead like who wants to email us anyway when they could send when they could slide into our sweet sweet instagram dms and uh send us more of that influence that we're all hearing so much about now i feel like sliding i feel like there should be a moratorium on sliding into your dms because that is a very just like every time it's a phrase that probably no one uses anymore but now i'm a dad i can say stuff like that because i'm out of touch um how you do fellow kids (laughs) yeah uh I have been Adam, and I've said enough. You've been Anders, and you've said enough. Let's yes. get out of here. It was a monster, Mash. <laughs> Grateful to the hospitality of your rocking chair, man.